Greetings, everyone, here in the sanctuary, as well as Students Chapel. And I'm privileged uh, today to be sharing all the locations of Bethany. And so I want to just introduce myself. My name is Richard Dahlstrom. I'm the senior pastor of Bethany Community Church and the teaching pastor at the Green Lake location. Honored to be with all of us as we begin a new series in Ephesians. Please join me in prayer. Father, I'd like to thank you that as we listen for your voice through this letter that Paul has written, that it is as relevant today as it was the moment it was authored. We're grateful, Father, that you've preserved it for us in this moment in history in order that particularly we might live as people of hope, basking in your rich love for us and living above the petty and divisive issues that seem to plague our culture and our world right now. Would you so shape us through our time together in Ephesians, Father, that we increasingly shine as light and we'll thank you for all that flows from that as we pray this in Christ's name, amen. So many years ago when we had only one child, my wife Donna and I were planning a trip to a place called Park Butte. I had been there a few times. It's a lookout tower near Mount Baker up to the north. And from this lookout tower, it's a spectacular view. You look to the west, you can see Vancouver Island, you can see the Strait. You look to the north, you can see the hills of Canada. And then just straight across from you, about two miles away, is just the massive uh, Mount Baker. It's all, it's all there, and on a clear day, it's spectacular. I'd said to Donna a few times, you have to see this, it's amazing. Well, the very week that we're gonna go up there, she finds out she's pregnant, and this is the way Donna thinks. She's like this, we have to go now, because uh, pretty soon I'm not gonna be able to you know, hike as much, so let's go. So we went, and the day we went, it was supposed to be somewhat cloudy, but actually the weather turned out worse than we anticipated. It was cloudy when we began, then it started to rain, then it started to rain really hard, then it went from rain to cold rain to snow. By the time we get to the top, it's snowing, howling winds, zero visibility. We get into this lookout tower, and you can sleep up there in this old fire lookout tower. We get in, the wood is wet, that you need to use to light the little wood stove in there to heat the place up. Our sleeping bags are wet from uh, the rain and snow. We pull out our sleeping bags, we try and light a fire. We're cold all night. This thing is sitting on a ridge and it's supported by cables. And because the wind is blowing so much, the whole place is swaying all night and you're kind of wondering if it's even gonna keep standing. We wake up the next morning, there's about a foot to a foot and a half of snow everywhere and it's pure fog. You can't, you can't see anything. So I'll never forget, my wife wakes up, she goes, great view. And I said, it is a great view. Just imagine, and then I painted this picture for her. Vancouver Island, the Strait, the, the hills of Canada, Mount Baker, and I tried to describe the whole thing. She couldn't see it, but here's the point for this morning. It was still there. And this is the thing that I want us to see when we look at the book of Ephesians, is that there's this fog that has kind of descended over our world, but that behind the fog, the beauty of the gospel still remains, and it's incredibly powerful. What Paul is trying to do in the book of Ephesians is show us this beauty, even though in this present moment, the beauty is hidden by all kinds of storms, because this is the way that we find ourselves living today. Way too often... 
We feel as if all that we can see is the storm. We see the storms of political corruption, the storms of incompetence, the, the threat of war. We see it at the global, the local, the national levels. Uh, we see increasing violence, increasing polarization between people groups, whether racially, politically, economically, doctrinally. And then there are personal matters for all of us as well that create fog, broken family systems, health challenges, financial challenges, hidden secrets that we're carrying, shame, things like loneliness, fear of the future, fear of being discovered, addictions. And so the question on the table today is this, how do we deal with the fog of uncertainty and discouragement that comes from our present situations? When it's foggy, we don't really see any beauty. All we see are problems and deficiencies and our own shortcomings. When we find ourselves in that situation, how do we deal with it? Often the answer is we choose to self-medicate. We self-medicate through buying more stuff, through upward mobility, through addictive behavior, and these are ways of escaping the pain of living in the fog. Ephesians, though, is Paul's articulation that the fog of the present moment is passing away, and that the best way to deal with living in the fog is to have the eyes of faith and see what is behind the fog. See these timeless realities that are stunningly beautiful. The fog of war threats, racism, disease, everything, all these fogs rise and fall, come and go. And we need a confidence, all of us do, that beyond and behind the fog, there are truths that are eternal. And so this is what we're going to look at in these moments that we have together today. These truths, when we see them and actually believe them, they transform us so that we become people of hope and rest and confidence right in the midst of the storms and fog that are created that are all around us in our culture. And so that's what we find in the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote this letter from prison and theologians debate whether it's a letter written directly to only the Ephesians or written to many. And for reasons that are beyond the scope of this moment, I will let you know that I think that this letter has, has generic enough themes that it was probably a circular letter. In other words, it was distributed to several churches. And the way that worked is a letter would be read by one church and then passed on to another and then another. So we looked recently at Philippians. That letter was written to Philippi. This letter was more like a blog post, actually, than a personal letter. It was talking about generic themes that are very important for all of God's people for all time. And so what we look at then this time today in this book of Ephesians are two truths, and then those two truths are kind of framed at the end of chapter one by a prayer. And so we're looking at all of chapter one, two truths and a prayer that frame the whole book. So here's what we see. First truth is this. All of us who are here in Christ, we're all... This is Paul's language. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Paul articulates this in verses 1 through 9. I'll begin reading in verse 3. Listen as I read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He's chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he's predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the intention of his will, to the praise of his glory and grace, the grace which he freely gave to us in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. 
And then in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind attention, intention, which he purposed, through, again, through Christ. So that's a, long, that's a very long sentence, but I'm going to break this up and help you see that what Paul is saying here is every one of us already have, if we're in Christ, everything we need to be people of hope, freedom, joy, generosity, and purpose in the world. One of the most remarkable passages in the whole Bible, in my opinion, is this section that I've just read, and there's, there's two reasons. The first thing is this. When you look at all of Ephesians, chapter 1, 2, and 3, you'll notice this. Paul doesn't tell people to do anything. He never says, this is what you need to do. Get your act together, repent, work harder. No. The foundation of this letter, which is the foundation of our life in Christ, is this. There are truths that are true for everyone in Christ because God has given these things to you. You didn't earn them. They were given to you. And this becomes for all of us or should become the foundation for our life journey. Because this is God's way of saying that God has given us everything we will ever need and more to live the life for which we were created. All of us have everything we already need. So the Christian life doesn't start with doing. The Christian life starts with receiving and believing and it's as important to receive and believe as it is for a baby uh, to eat and inhale. I mean, a baby just has to, has to receive. Receive air, receive food, receive mother's milk in order to grow. And the same thing is true for us. We must receive. And the way that we receive is by looking at what God says and then responding to what God says this way. Thank you. Like I believe, right? And when I say thank you, that saying thank you becomes an act of faith. And Paul says in Romans <clears throat> chapter 14, whatever is not of faith is sin. In other words, every time you sin, it's because you're not believing one of these things that God has already said is true. Uh, and I'll kind of unpack that for you as this series goes along. But I, I want to show you in this particular passage that I've already read, what does God say is true of you? And there are several things they're in your outline, in your bulletin. And so let me just go through these for you. First of all, this is true. For all of us in the room, we are chosen for a destiny. This is what the text says. And our destiny, every one of us in the room, is nothing less than each of us displaying the character of Jesus. Now, the beauty of this text is this. Because God has gifted each of you uniquely in different ways, what God is saying is, yes, I will display the character of Jesus through you, but your display of the character of Christ will look different than your display because I will use your, I won't annihilate your personality, I'll use your personality to display the character of Jesus. I'll use your gifts to display the character of Jesus. So each one of us become this kind of unique display of Christ, but our destiny, according to Romans chapter 8 and this text right here, our destiny is this, that each one of us would be conformed to the image of God's Son. In other words, that as, as I grow older chronologically, that I would look more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. This is said many places in the Bible, but one of my favorite passages where this is articulated is Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, that as we look at God's glory, if I, if I behold the glory of God, here's the promise of God, as I look at God, God is transforming me and I am being changed in what? From glory to glory to glory, looking more and more and more and more like Christ. More joy, more hope, more generosity, more patience, more confidence. Lifelong journey 
toward this destiny of looking like Jesus. So you're chosen for a destiny. Second, you're given assurance of adoption. Now, adoption is beautiful in the Roman culture because in Roman culture, to uh, uh, encourage adoption, as it were, uh, what happened was the culture, many scholars believe, that the culture actually made it easier for a person to disinherit a biological son than an adopted son. So if you're my natural son, and then I adopted you, you could both go out and live wild lives. I could write you out of my will and say, you are no longer my son. The, the natural born one. I could write him out of my will. The adopted son, assurance forever. I can't tell you how hugely significant that is because what God is trying to say to all of us in the room is this. There is nothing you could ever, ever, ever do that would remove you from my unconditional, infinite, relentless commitment to you. I am for you, with you. I will bless you. And you see it all through the Bible, this, this relentless, infinite, unconditional commitment of God to us. Why? We're, we're adopted. And there are probably some of you listening now who are adopted. I'm adopted, and so this, of course, gives me tremendous um, uh, confidence and joy, this particular passage of Scripture, because when I was told by my parents that I was adopted, they said to me, listen, Richard, uh, in other families, uh, parents are stuck with the kids that are born to them. But uh, we weren't stuck with you. We chose you. That warmed my heart. And then I said to them, how'd you choose me? And they said, and I know some of you heard this story, but others haven't. They said, well, we filled out this paperwork. And I was six months old at the time. Uh, and so I'm in a room with other babies in cribs. And after doing the paperwork, they said, so... Go choose a baby, like you're shopping for grapefruit or something. I mean, it's insane to me as I hear it, right? Go choose a baby. So my parents go in, and uh, my dad, my adoptive dad, he wiggles his thumb in front of each baby, right? So he wiggles his thumb, and one baby just starts crying. One baby ignores the thumb. One baby pees or something like that. You know, one baby rolls over. One baby's asleep. Comes to me, wiggles his thumb. I smile, reach out and grab the thumb. And then get this, then my parents, they look at each other, they go, yeah, this one's good enough. And I, are you, I go, are you kidding me? That's how I ended up in this family that led me to faith, that introduced me to, in a longer story than now, my calling. Yeah, God has had his hand on me. And adoption means that to me, but it should mean that to actually all of us even if you're biologically in your biological family, you are adopted into God's family. God has chosen you for a specific purpose. So you're chosen for a destiny, given the assurance of adoption. Third, you're redeemed, which simply means that God has bought you for a purpose. This is a theme we'll develop a little bit more as the letter matures. Uh, fourth, still under blessed with every spiritual blessing. Fourth, you're bathed in grace, which is intended to free you from ever having a sense of performance anxiety. Do you understand? Have I done enough, prayed enough, read enough, 
obedient enough, given enough. No, like you're in, you're in God's family because of God's infinite grace for you. And all of these blessings are given freely, without cost, without condition. They're just given, they're yours. You already have them, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. Why? Because you're bathed in grace. Verse 13 says, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So this, this notion of sealing means this, this, this new life, this DNA of resurrection life that is Christ in you, this new life, it will never leave. You're sealed. That is Christ's life. Verse 13. And verse 11, you're given an inheritance. And, and uh, I love this in the J.B. Phillips Bible. It, it, this is how it reads. Here's the staggering thing I'm quoting now, that in all which will one day belong to Christ, we have been promised to share. Can you imagine? Let me say that again. In all which will one day belong to Christ, we have been promised to share. And by the way, what has been promised to Christ? Verse 10, all things. All things. So we have been promised to share in all things in the universe. This is why we, we need never feel uh, as if we're people of poverty because beyond the fog of whatever is my present situation, this is true. I've been promised a share in a divine, eternal inheritance that affects the entire cosmos. Man alive. I just, I just love this. So um, this is why understanding your identity in Christ is so very important. Because this identity, everything that Paul has said is, is just, it's simply true, right? These things are true. They're true whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether you like it or not. And so when Jesus says in John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, my word abides in you, you will know the truth. The promise is what? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, so our freedom comes from learning to receive this identity and whether I feel forgiven or not, I say this, thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiven. Whether I feel adopted or not, I say thank you that I'm adopted. Whether I feel as if I have a sum in all things, an inheritance in all things, I say thank you, Jesus, that I'm part of this divine plan. Thank you, Jesus, that you are relentlessly committed to my transformation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as I thank God for what God has already said is true, here's the funny thing, I began to believe it. And, and, and this is why John 8, Jesus says, abide in my word. I need to take these truths and allow my soul to be saturated by them. We'll talk more about this as we come to a conclusion in just a moment. So that's the first thing. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Here's the second truth. We're part of a bigger story. We're part of a bigger story. All of us get up in the morning. Uh, we, we get dressed. We brush our teeth. We eat. We, you know, we go to work. We fight with traffic, we come home, if, if we are in a family, we have kids, we take our kids to music lessons or we go to sports games and there's, there's just it's kind of this cycle of life that's going on and maybe we turn on the news and we listen to things about North Korea or things about, uh, you know, Amazon and taxes in the city and we get upset and we get all riled up and this, there's this kind of thing going on and, and I, I, it's just so important, I, in my opinion, it's so important, Paul is trying to say this to us, look, understand that this is like the life you live, much of it is lived in the fog of the immediate moment, like it's foggy, yeah, the car breaks and you burn the dinner, and the kids misbehave, and a doctor's report comes back positive, and you want it to come back negative. These are real things. Totally get it. And behind that fog, 
San Juan Islands, Vancouver Island, Mount Baker. Spectacular beauty. It's still there. I, I have to learn to live in the fog as a person of hope, knowing what is right there in the fog. I just can't see it right now. And so, like, what helps me do that is this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 10, which, which says this in my New American Standard Bible. It's articulated this way. History's headed toward this. The summing up of all things in Christ. That's the phrase. In other words, if you go, what's the end of this story? I'll tell you, that, that's the end of the story. Again, J.B. Phillips says the same thing this way. Everything that exists in heaven on earth will find its perfection in him. That's just, if you can picture, um, how, many, how many have seen uh, the movie version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Anybody here seen that? So some of you have seen Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So you know how uh, when Aslan the lion is, quote, unquote, resurrected, right? He comes back to life. There's these statues that have been, like they're under a curse, and then Aslan breathes on them, and what happens? The statues come to life. This is profound, because this is, this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, we're living in a world of statues. Like the entire world is still feeling the effects of a curse. And, and it, the presenting problems are too many to name, but it's human trafficking, and it's cancer, and it's infidelity, and it's personal shame, and it's body image issues, and it's our relationship with food, and our relationship with sex, and our relationship with money, and everything's tainted. Everything is tainted. And so what, what Ephesians 1.10 says is that's the fog in which we live. Everything's tainted. However, know this. The fog is going to clear away, and when the fog clears away, everything that is presently tainted will be tainted no more. In other words, this is a theme through the Bible. Isaiah 43, God says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Isaiah's looking ahead to the end of time, and he says, this is what God will do. God will do a new thing. Revelation 21.5. Behold, I make all things new. That's a sign that this present age is, is going to be taken away, and a, and a new age is coming. And be, why do I say that? Because in this age, everything has this, this taint on it. Everything that's new becomes old and then broken and eventually it's gone. Everything, right? So, so it's true of a particular human body, right? Bodies are new, they get old, and they die. Marriages are new, they get old, they die. Families, new, old, die. Cities, new, old, die. Cultures, new, old, die. Everything. Everything. Are you depressed yet? I mean, that's like that's that's the reality. And then and then Paul drops this in Second Corinthians five. If anyone's in Christ, he or she is a what? New creation. And this is fascinating to me because it means not new in time, but new in quality because the, because of this remarkable inheritance that you've now received, resurrection life is now part of your DNA. So this cycle of new, old, die, disappear is broken. It's broken. You will never die. Your body will die, but you'll never die. 
So you're, in, you're already in this newness, do you see? And this means that you've moved out of the realm of death and decay into the realm of what Hebrews 7 calls the realm of an indestructible life. Your spirit will live forever so that as you mature in Christ, you're not only freed from the fear of death, you're freed from the fear of anything. Psalm 118 verse 6 says this, hey, if God is with me, what shall I fear? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is what? I don't have anything to fear. So God intends to flood the whole cosmos and heaven and earth together with God's presence and grace. And when that happens, the new world that results in which Jesus himself becomes a central figure, this, this new world will be the inheritance for which Jesus' people are longing. In other words, we're part of that story where all things are being, new, uh, being made new. Part of that story where these statues are coming to life where we now are being delivered from something and filled with something else. So uh, filled with joy as we're delivered from sorrow, filled with hope as we're delivered from despair, filled with mercy as we're delivered from judgment, filled with healing as we're delivered from disease. God is doing this, this movement from old to new. This is God's redeeming work and it comes in fullness in the future. But have you ever been in the mountains and... Um, the fog just clears away for a moment. Has it, have you had that happen before? I think with, I was with the interns, and I think it happened a couple of times, actually. We're standing on a ridge, and then there's fog, and then it clears for a minute, and then I say, hey, come see, and then by the time people get there, it's gone again. That's this, that's this text. There, we are to be Christians. We're to be the part of the way. The fog is gone for a minute. So that I see in your family intimacy. So I see in your life justice. I see in your life generosity. I see in these two people reconciliation. These are moments when the fog is parted and it's, it's God's way of saying, I'm doing a new thing. Imagine if all of us as Christians, all of us who are Christ followers, begin to live with that as our vocation. We're here to blow the fog away for just a moment and be people of hope in a world of despair. Man, if that becomes our calling, we are, we are answering the deepest questions of humanity, the deepest longings. I mean, Ecclesiastes 3, 9, and 10, remember this is what it says? God has placed eternity in the hearts of people. So we, we already know this. We want a world without hunger, disease, poverty, human trafficking, War, broken relationships, addiction. We want a world without that stuff. And it's not just that we want that world. People driving by right, right now who don't care at all about church, they want that world too. Everybody wants that world. So what Paul is trying to articulate to the Ephesians is not only is that world coming, that world is here. Because the DNA of Christ's resurrection life has now been wedded with your DNA so that you now are the presence of that future hope. So live as people who are parting the fog, right? Remember that song by John Lennon, Imagine. That song speaks to those longings. But Christianity is not called to simply speak to those longings. Christianity is called to make those longings visible. That's why I love the phrase that the church is called to make the invisible God visible. We're called to display God's character because why? Christ lives in us. This is what Paul is saying. So Christianity often has had a reputation of being against stuff, right? I spoke at a conference a few years ago, 
and a man came up to me after I spoke on justice, mercy, and love at a Micah 6.8, and he said, you know what? I've been a Christian all my life, but all I've ever heard is what God doesn't like. God doesn't like drinking. God doesn't like smoking. God doesn't like greed. God doesn't like, uh, he had a long list. He said, this is the first time I've heard what God is for. What Paul is saying in Ephesians is, hey, the foundation is know what God is for. Because as you begin to embody that, that is how you testify to the reality that Christ has done a remarkable work in you. The people who in this life have come to know and trust God through Christ were to be these signs to the rest of the world of this glorious future that's on the way. So that's, that's this thing. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing and we're part of a bigger story. The bigger story is the summing up of all things in Christ. This is where history's headed. And so we're called to part the fog and make that future visible in our lives, in our life together, in our families, at work, to make that future visible now. Now, Paul closes this with a prayer. So I'm gonna just read a little bit what was read earlier. Again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, which is a very literal translation, and it becomes a, just one long run-on sentence in a way, but listen. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. I'm gonna repeat that. A, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of him. So here's the deal. The, what, essentially, what Paul's praying here in chapter one is this. He says, listen, I'm praying for you, not only the Ephesians, but maybe six or seven other churches. I'm praying that you would know God's hope and power. And this particular word know in the Greek language is a knowing by experience, which is very important for we who gather as, a, as an educated community. It's not that you will just intellectually know, oh yeah, I see, Richard gave me a list this morning in the bulletin, I'm chosen for a destiny, I'm given assurance of adoption, I'm redeemed, I'm bathed in grace, I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. Check, 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 done. No, uh, that's, that's, very, that's a very different kind of knowing than the knowing here. The knowing is this, I've been... Um, Adoption has so profoundly altered me that it's, now I'm a different person for having known adoption. I'm a different person for having known the sealing of the Holy Spirit. I'm a different person for having known that I'm chosen for a destiny. I'm changed, body, soul, and spirit, because of these truths. That's, he's praying that you'd know that way. Pray that you'd know. Now, here's the deal. We'll bring this to a close. At first I go, well, why does Paul even pray that? It's right, he just said it, and now he's saying, I pray that you'd know it. And then I started thinking, you know, this is good that he prayed that they'd know, because we, we often, like I feel like I preach this stuff, and people don't get it. And so I, I think about, why does this stuff fall into some people's hearts like water falls on parched soil, and for other people, this stuff falls like water on a Gore-Tex jacket and rolls off. They're like, oh yeah, whatever, we're blessed, I gotta go. Like, why is that? And I think here's why. Here's one of the reasons that it rolls off of some people. We like to do stuff. We like to do stuff. We like to-do lists. We like self-help books. We like projects. 
We like initiatives. We like timelines. We like improving ourselves, making ourselves more effective, educating ourselves. Kind of the Christian industry teaches pastors, quote unquote, how to grow churches as if there's a to-do list, right? Like building a house for a general contractor. And when you're finished, presto, here are people, here's a church, here's spiritual health. Or change the subject. Presto, do these things, happy marriage. Do these things, spiritual maturity. Do these things, fruitful ministry. Hey, rubbish. There's no way. No system, no local church, no denomination, no political party, no to-do list, no initiative, no project, no book, no conference will ever bring God's reign to your heart. And here's why. It's already there. And you're trying to do what God has already done. You're trying to earn through your sweat and initiative and project and self-help what God wants to freely give you. So our journey is not a path of becoming. It's a path of realizing what we've already become in him. We're awakening to this transformation that has already taken place and our journey is a discovery of what's already taken place. The work finished in Christ that's imparted everything that we need to live the lives for which we're created. You don't need to do, you need to discover what's been done. Discover who you are. That's huge. So for me, you know, I, I teach in other places. Everywhere I go, everywhere, I destroy this sheet about uh, identity in Christ. And I never make copies for everybody. What I do is I, is I say, they're here if you want them. And I'd say, wherever I go, 80% of the students pick them up. I, wh why? Because I've gone to great lengths to say to them, look, before you do anything, I mean, you have, you've got addictions, or you hate your body, or you, you've been uh, uh, violated in some way or victimized. All, it needs to be dealt with. This isn't passivity. It needs to be dealt with. But what's first? What's the foundation? What's the starting point? The starting point is this. Christ on the cross said what? It is finished. And when he said it is finished, this is what he meant. There's nothing more to do. I've done everything needed to now impart for you divine DNA so that you now have in you everything you need to be the person God had in mind when God created you. It's all there. You need to then discover it, believe that you have it, and give thanks. That's this letter. I, I love this letter. So we're on that journey, and the reason we're on, this journey, on that journey now is because we live in a time of fog, and God wants to free us from the fog so that we can walk in the light as people of light, bringing hope to a dark world. Uh, I hope you'll join me every week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for this word. And uh, as we respond now, I pray that you would give us the grace, Father, to, to dig deep into our identity in Christ, knowing who we are, believing who we are, in order that we might, in gratitude, begin to live into the reality of this rich inheritance. So often I know in my own life, I feel like uh, I behave as someone living in poverty when I'm sitting on a wealth of riches. And I pray that, Father, we begin to live into the richness of hope and mercy, of generosity and justice, of love and laughter and celebration and hope as we find ourselves rooted and grounded in love, joint heirs with Christ of this rich inheritance, confident of the end of the story. Would you guide us there in these weeks ahead? 
and we'll thank you for it as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.